made in your likeness. We are united. Whole and complete. We are found in you. One love. One spirit. One mindset. Your word is our truth. Oh, good morning, church. Good morning. Wow. Welcome back. We're in a great series called Wholehearted. And our endeavor is to live our lives wholehearted for Christ, that everything in us would bring glory to Him, that we would make the most of whatever time we have on this earth, that we would live it right, we would live it well, we'd reach our full potential in Christ. And God is challenging us. And I love the feedback. I'm hearing some, so many people just about this series and what God's teaching us. Now, in our series, we're studying the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. In the Apostle Paul was writing to this church in Philippi, and Paul was saying, hey guys, don't miss it. Live wholehearted, right? Live fully committed lives to Christ. In chapter 1, I'll just do a quick review, but in chapter 1, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Because Paul helped start the church there in Philippi. And Paul loved this church. Paul always loved the church. And, and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I love that last part. Think about that God started a great work in you. That God started a great work in you. And God's going to carry that great work on to completion. God's not finished with any of us yet. Right? There's still breath in our lungs for a reason and for a purpose. That God has a plan for you. In, in chapter 2, Paul says, hey, your role model should be Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He says, don't get caught up looking at the world. Don't get caught up letting them dictate how you live or how you think or what you wear. Or whatever. You look at Christ Jesus and as followers of Christ, he's our role model. And how did Jesus live, right? With, with humility, service, love, those are the things that ought to be coming out in our lives as we live wholehearted. In chapter 3, he talked about this. You grow to maturity. You mature. You become a fully mature disciple in Christ. You press deep into Jesus. You know, forget what lies behind. You know, forget about those past mistakes. You forget it. You strain toward what lies ahead and you move forward. Now, at the end of chapter 3, he turns the corner. And he goes into chapter 4, and in chapter 4, he tells us two things that become the result of living our life for Christ wholehearted. Two things that will happen. We're going to see one next week, but today, I want you to see this one. It's this. Peace. And it's not something we think about, right? We think about heaven. Heaven's the reward. It's going to come. But when we live wholehearted in Christ, what comes into our life is peace. And isn't that awesome? Because we live in a world that's in desperate need of peace, right? I mean, we live in a world, and man, we just pray for peace. We pray for peace in the Middle East. I mean, whenever I see what's happening in Syria, I just pray. I pray for refugees. I pray for all these people that are impacted. I just pray for peace. And we pray for peace in our own nation. All the things that are happening here, it just seems like turmoil. I mean, we just pray for peace. We pray for peace in our community. We pray for peace in our kids' schools. We pray for peace in our own homes. We pray for peace in our marriages. We pray for peace in our lives. 
Now, here's the thing. A lot of people, everybody wants peace, right? But a lot of people use different ways to try to get peace. A lot of people will say, well, if I could just get to a day spa, right, then I could get some peace, right? I, I could get, you know, if I can get a massage or I can get a mani or a pedi, then I'm going to get some peace. Other people think, well, if I could get out and play golf, right, if I could just get out and play golf, I'll get some peace. If I could just get a moment alone, and I've got three kids, and they're all over the place, and I love them, I love them, but I just need a moment by myself. If I get a moment by myself, then I'm going to achieve peace, or if I can go for a run, or I can go for a hike, or I can go for a walk, right? We have all these different ways that we think somehow we're going to get some peace. But the problem with all those ways, and we know this, don't we? It's a moment's peace, right? You get the spa, you get a moment's Peace, and then it's right back into the chaos, and it's right back into everything else, and then you're thinking about the next one, right? If you're on the golf course, it's peace for about six holes, and then you hit a bad shot, all the peace is gone, right? We know this, but the Apostle Paul comes along and says, guys, listen, there is something incredible. When you live your life wholehearted for Christ, when you find your worth and your value in Him, what comes in is a lasting peace, I love that. And that's what God wants us to experience today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians, New Testament, right? It's right back there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels all talk about Jesus. And then Acts, the early church. Romans, this great theology. And then you get into these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to these different churches. Like First and Second Corinthians, the church in Corinth, and Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians. So all these letters are right back here toward the back of your Bible. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures on version. Also, we'll put the scripture on the screen so you can follow along. We're just going to do like eight verses today. Okay, we're just verse 2 through verse 9, but I want to tell you, this is some of the most incredible truth. This is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, Philippians chapter 4. So last week we left off at the end of verse 1 of chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, right, church whom I love, you're my joy, my crown, you stand firm, you live wholehearted. And then he comes to this next kind of section. Maybe you have a heading there. He comes to this next section and look at verse 2. He says, I plead with you, Udia, and I plead with you, Sinti, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I will ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So you're thinking... I thought we were talking about peace. And you got these women who uh, are in a disagreement. (laughs) Well, we live in a world, right, that there's always going to be disagreements. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. There's going to be those things that happen. Now, to tell you that there's disagreements is not a shocker, right? We all know that. We live with disagreements. We live with that. Uh, We're all imperfect people. And we see this in our world, in our lives. And yet, these two women were coming to church, and something happened. We don't know what, but they got this disagreement thing going. Maybe it was they didn't like each other's names. You know, I don't know what it was. They were hard to pronounce. I don't know what it was, but they were coming in, and they were sitting on different sides of the auditorium, kind of had their arms crossed like this during worship, you know, and they weren't getting along. And the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He's writing from prison in Rome, and he's writing this letter back, and he hears about this disagreement, and these women were like leaders in the church. They were doing great things, and so from prison, he writes back to them and says, hey, guys, what's going on? 
And why this disagreement here? What's happening? And Paul has something that these women needed, and it was this, perspective. Paul's going, don't let some little thing become a big thing. Don't let some little thing take your eyes off what really matters. So Paul says, verse, you know, kind of the point number one is this, focus on what matters. Focus on what matters. He's like, you guys, you remember, you used to contend at my side for the work of the gospel. You used to get along when it was all about the gospel, when there was a focus on what mattered. You were in it. But when you took your eyes off of that, all of a sudden these little things started to take root. It happens, doesn't it? It can happen at work. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen with kids. It, it can happen. These disagreements come in. We're imperfect people. But Paul says, you, church, there ought to be unity. You ought to get along. You ought to be one together. Do you know Jesus prayed for you? Did you know this? Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for us. In John chapter 17, if you go back and read it, Jesus knew the, the crucifixion was coming. It, Jesus knew what, what was coming ahead for him spiritually, physically, emotionally. He was going to pay the price for the sins of the world. He was going to take all of our sins upon himself. Praise be to God and pay the price for us. And so Jesus prays in John chapter 17, and he prays for himself that he would bring glory to God, then he prays for his disciples. He prays that they would stay strong, right? Because he knew what was about to happen and they were going to scatter. Then he prays this in John chapter 17. He says, I pray for all those who will believe from your testimony. So he's looking at the disciples. He says, I'm praying for everybody who will come after you. And I'm praying for them. So Jesus looks down through the quarters of time. And he sees us here at Rolling Hills. He sees us in 2017. He sees us here in Franklin, Tennessee. And he says, I'm praying for you, church. And here's what he prayed. He didn't just pray that we would have great Bible studies. He knew that was going to be important. He, he didn't just pray that we would have great worship. He knew that would be important. Jesus prayed this. I pray that they will be one. I pray that they will be united. I pray that they'll focus on what matters. That's when we make the biggest difference. When we see that, when we come along, when we encourage each other, when we lock arms, when we serve, that's what makes the biggest difference. I've got some good friends and uh, sometimes disagreements happen in marriage. I don't know if you guys know that, but you know, it does. Every now and then something will pop up, right? And, the, and these guys, they'll talk about each other and, and they'll say, you know, when we get into a disagreement in our marriage and somebody starts to, you know, raise the level, raise the tone and the yelling starts and the other one will stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're on the same team. We're on the same team. Don't forget about that. We're on the same team. We, we want to have a great marriage. We, we want to succeed. We want to be great parents. We, we want to do this well and right. And I think Jesus is saying to us, praying for us, hey, you're on the same team. You are united in Christ. Now, some of you, you may have grown up in a church and, and man, it was tough. And you, you saw some of these disagreements and, and I'm sorry for that. And, and yet Jesus would say, hey, don't project that onto God, you know. <laughs> when there's imperfect people, there's going to be some, some of those things that happen. But I want you, church, to be one. I want you to be united. I grew up in a great church, and I, I'm just so grateful. My parents took me to church, preschool, children, students. And we were involved. But our church, it was growing. It was dynamic. And you know why? Because 
The church was investing in the community. It was about reaching out. It was about missions and evangelism. It was about discipleship and growing deeper in God's word. And, and there was a unity that happened. And that's what God's doing here. And I love that. People will come up to me all the time and they go, Jeff, what, what's happening? I just feel like God's presence is at ruling hills and God's hand of favor. And I'm like, I know, and I pray that it stays. But, but you know what? It's just like we're just saying, God, we want to follow you. We want to invest, Father, in lives. And whether they're in Moldova and orphans or in the Amazon or in South Africa. And see, when we forget the why of what we're doing is when disagreements come in. We forget that God's called us to go to the ends of the earth. We forget that God's called us to make disciples. Then all of a sudden we start focusing on the smaller things. But when we remember, hey, hey, we're to raise up the next generation in Christ. We remember that who's going to teach our kids about Jesus if we don't? School? <laughs> Government? Internet? If we remember that, hey, God's called us to be a link in the chain and to help the next generation grow up for the glory of God. If God calls us to be the hands and feet of Christ at the Path Project or right here locally in Franklin or Brentwood or Spring Hill or Thompson Station for us to meet needs around us and then to go to the ends of the earth, then all of a sudden there's a unity. And then all of a sudden we're all like, yeah, we're on the same page. And what comes then when you contend at one another's side for the gospel, there is a peace that comes where you go, man, we don't have it all figured out. We don't know what's going on. But man, God's hand of favor and blessing is here. Woo. I love it. And I love what God's doing. And I think that's where peace comes. Secondly, it's this. When we turn everything over to the Lord. When we turn everything over to the Lord. Look at verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice! Exclamation point. Now remember, Paul's writing from prison. He's writing from prison. But there is joy that just exudes from Philippians. It's the whole theme of Philippians. And every time there's a struggle in Philippians, Paul follows it up with joy. Right? Paul in chapter 1, hey, I'm in prison, but rejoice, you know. In chapter 2, he's like, your pastor, Paphroditus, he came and brought that gift that you sent to me. And, and he was here on a mission trip and meeting, me, and meeting with the church in Rome. And then he almost died. But hey, he didn't die and he's coming back to you. Rejoice, you know. These two women, they're not getting along. But hey, rejoice. I mean, it was like Paul has this different perspective of life. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, Rejoice. C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Isn't that awesome? Joy is the serious business of heaven. If you ever go to Europe, you can tell if the king is in the castle if the flag is raised, right? You ever go tour Europe and you can see the flag's raised and you know the king is in the castle. Well, the same thing should be true of us. As disciples, when the Lord is in our hearts, the flag over us should be joy. Look, look at what God's doing. God is with me. God is for me. Have you ever met somebody and you just go, I know they're a believer. I could tell. Yeah. The other night we were at a restaurant and the restaurant was packed and Lisa and I and the girls, we were there and, and we were eating and, and our server came up and she was this young adult and you could just tell. I was just like, I looked at Lisa and I go, she's a believer. She's like, how do you know? I go, I'm just telling you, she's a believer, you know? And she was just smiling. There was just this peace from her. And even all these crazy things were coming around. And then, you know, we talked to her throughout the meal. And then we get the bill. And on the bill, she just wrote, 
blessings on you all. God loves you. And put her name. I'm like, see, told you, believer, right there, you know. I told you, she's a believer, you know. And Lisa's like, okay, you know. And so I said, hey, you know, you're a Christian, obviously. She goes, yeah. And I said, well, tell me about that. And she goes, well, my parents, we all grew up in, in Africa. And she said, I actually, we had to flee when I was really young because, you know, our country was at war. And we came to the United States. And she said, my dad was a doctor there. And now he's trying to get into medicine here, but now I'm in school and I'm just working here to make money. And, and there was just this joy about her. And I was like, I know. I mean, even all those things, I just said, there, there's something different about you. And I believe for us as Christ followers, we don't have everything figured out, right? We don't have everything perfect. We still have disagreements. We still have struggles, but, but there's something different. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, Paul says, rejoice. And then he says this little phrase, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now he's coming back to this whole disagreement, right? And he's going, guys, no, 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 no. You be gentle. So I want to ask you, are you gentle in your marriage? Are you gentle with your roommate? Are you gentle with your kids? Are you gentle with your coworkers? Are you gentle? And then this next just short sentence, it just says simply this, the Lord is near. And I think Paul's going, hey guys, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget that you have an audience who's watching. You got an audience of one. You live your life for him, but the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And then verse six and seven, these are two of the most special verses to me in the entire Bible. And I'll tell you the story in a minute, but let me just walk us through these verses. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. So let me stop right there. Are you anxious about something today? Now this word in the Greek, anxiety right here, it, it's not a medical term. It's a term that's used for self-centered, counterproductive worry. And in this self-centered, counterproductive worry, he says, do not be anxious about anything. So is there some area that you're anxious in? He says, but in everything, right? In everything, that means that anything big, anything small, sometimes we go, well, this is just a little deal. I don't want to bother God. You know, God's got a lot of things going on. Uh, no, God can handle it. Now, there's nothing too big that God's power can't handle. There's nothing too small that a father's care doesn't tend to. I love that about God. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition. See, anxiety over here, this kind of anxiety that's talked about right here in the Bible, this kind of anxiety, this self-centered worry, it's over here. And the opposing force to that is prayer. Prayer is us over here on anxiety, worrying, and prayer is us over here just lifting it to the Lord and saying, God, I can't, but you can. God, I'm giving it to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition. And then these two little words right there, you see those? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. See, a lot of times we come before God and we're like, oh God, help, I'm desperate. I don't know if you can handle this, but, but here's what's going on. And the apostle Paul would say, hey, stop, 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 stop. Before you get into even presenting your request to God, before you even get there, go ahead and be thankful. 
go ahead and take some time to look back and just go, God, I remember when I was desperate before and you came through. God, I remember when I was looking for a job. God, I remember when relationally things were a mess. God, I remember when things were really tough. And, and God, you came through. He says, with thanksgiving, don't forget about the things God's already done. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then I love this last part. And the peace of God. <laughs> and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You know, it doesn't mean that the problems are all gone. It doesn't mean that challenges aren't gone. It, it just means this, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, like how in the world do you have peace in the middle of this? How in the world do you have peace when you got three kids that are all under the age of four? How in the world do you have peace in the middle of job transition? How in the world do you have peace? I'm gonna tell you, it transcends all understanding, okay? But it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And you think about being in England and going by those palaces and those guards just standing there and I think about God's peace just right there in our mind, right there in our heart. See, these two verses are so special to me because 14 and a half years ago when God called Lisa and I and some other incredible people to, to plant rolling hills and I gotta tell you, I was scared to death. I, was, I really was. I had a great job. I loved it. I had, you know, good salary and benefits and, and God was saying, no, walk away and, and, and start this. And I'm like, God, this is crazy. My wife had more faith than I did. And she was like, we, this is what God's calling us to. And, and so the first night we had this Bible study. We had 15 people in an apartment clubhouse over here in Cool Springs. And the next day we went away and some friends had given us a, a weekend at this place that had this cabin and we just went away, and I'm thinking, God, I'm crazy. You know, <laughs> I missed it. I'm not doing what you've called me to do. Uh, God, is this it? And we get there to that place, and that Saturday, I sat there. I went down to this river by myself, and I walked up and down by this river for about two hours, and I quoted these two verses over and over again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I must have said it 30, 40 times because I was desperate. I was like, God, are you sure? Is this what you're calling us to? And I can't explain it. I mean, it's a piece that passes understanding, right? I can't explain it. But I want to tell you, I walked into that cabin and that river and I walked in with a lot of fear and a lot of worry and a lot of anxiety. But after that day, I walked out and I was just like, God, you got this. And there was peace and there was confidence. I didn't have all the questions answered. I have no idea where we were going to meet. I had no idea who was going to do kids. I didn't have any questions answered. But I knew this. God was with me and God was for me. And I was like, I'm walking with you, Lord. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning, maybe this morning, you walked in here with a lot of fear or a lot of anxiety. And maybe there's a lot of things going on in your life. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis for you or for a family member or for a friend. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Maybe there's just something that's weighing down your heart and your mind and you walked in today with that and I wanna pray, I wanna pray boldly that you would walk out with peace and with confidence. Not all the questions answered, but just knowing God is with me. And I don't know how it's all gonna play out. I don't know what all the answers are gonna be, but I know this, God is here and I'm walking with him and I'm trusting in him and God's got this. And I'm holding on to him. I'm holding on to him. Paul says, man, I want you to have 
that peace. I want you to experience that peace. And then he comes to verse 8, and he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And we kind of look and we say, wow, that, that kind of turns the corner a little bit. What, what does it tie in? And Paul goes, oh no, this ties in in a big way. Because you need to filter what comes into your mind and what comes into your heart. <laughs> it, you know, there's a lot of diet plans that are out there, right? There's the Whole30 plan. Some of you may have done that plan. My brother-in-law a few years ago was on this diet where you could eat all the bacon you wanted, all the steak, all the hamburger. I was like, dude, I want that diet. You know, I don't know if you ever lost any weight, but I mean, it was a great diet, you know. And, I mean, there's all kinds of diets, right? You can you pull up Weight Watchers on your phone and you got the Lose It app. If you look at all these, I can never find the things I like on there. I mean, there's never chips and queso. I never find that, you know. <laughs> never find the skillet chocolate chip cookie with ice cream and hot fudge. I never, it's never on those kind of plans. But, but the fact is this, is that we watch like a hawk what comes in through our mouth, into our bodies, don't we? We watch, and now, now they had to go and put calorie counts on all these, you know, menus. And you're like, no, that's 1,800 calories. I can't do that, you know, and I have to go for the 750 calorie. And, but we watch like a hawk what comes into our bodies. We know that. We know it's important to eat healthy. We know it's important to have a good diet. But I want to ask you this. Do we watch like a hawk what comes in through our eyes and through our ears? Because here's what Paul would say. If we let anxiety and worry occupy our minds, you know what? We're going to have that instead of peace. If we let those things take root in our mind and our heart. So here's the uh, Philippians 4, 8 diet. You know, brothers, whatever is true, you let that in your mind and in your heart. Whatever is true. And when Satan comes along and says, hey, you know what? You messed up. You're a failure. You're never going to get through this. You're never going to amount to this. The bank account's not going to work out. This relationship's not going to work out. You just go, no, 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 no. That's not truth. What is truth is this. I am a son or a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And my God is sovereign. And my God's in control. And I'm holding on to him. And I'm putting that truth in my head and my heart. Because whatever is true and whatever is noble and whatever is right and whatever is pure... I'm putting those things in my mind. I'm putting those things in my heart. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I'm going to think on these things. So are you thinking on these things? And if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you, hey, what were the last three movies you watched on Netflix? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know, but would they kind of measure up here? What about the last three songs you downloaded? What about the last three websites you visited? What about the last three conversations with friends? Does it fit the 4-8? Because we allow a lot of things in our mind that we wouldn't even allow in our body. Because we know, man, if I just eat queso and if I just eat Twinkies and cupcakes and chocolate chip cookies all the time, that's not good for me. But these other things aren't either. 
The other day we were in the office and Pastor Nick, I love Pastor Nick, and he came in the office and it was early in the morning and he had gotten a cup of coffee from somewhere and he comes in and he goes, guys, look at this coffee. You know, Nick, it's so funny. You know, he's just like, look at this coffee. It's sludge, right? He's poured it out. He's showing us that David had all the grounds in the bottom. He's like, look at this, look at this. And then he said this. He said, man, there must not have been any filter on this coffee. And I just thought, yeah, when there's no filter, what comes in, then what comes out is sludge. And we have to guard our minds, you know, take captive every thought, put a filter on that. And the Apostle Paul would say, hey, think on these things. Are you thinking about things that bring you peace? Are you thinking about things that bring you joy? Are you thinking about things that bring you hope and life? There's an old saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. What are we putting into our minds? What's coming in there? And then verse nine, the last verse for today. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I love that. And the God of peace will be with you. And Paul says, whatever you've heard about living wholehearted, whatever you've heard about your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Hey, you live wholehearted and the God of peace will be with you. The, the first commandment out of the top 10, the big 10 commandments, right? Number one commandment, this, no other gods. No other gods. And yet, we come along so many times and we try to make other things our God, right? We will put money as our God. We'll put our career as our God. We'll put our spouse or our future spouse, our boyfriend, we'll put them up there. We'll put our kids up there. And not that any of these things are bad, but what the God of peace says is, if I'm not on the throne, whoo, you don't have peace. You got a lot of worry. You got a lot of anxiety because you are trying to live for this but when the God of peace is on the throne, things begin to change. When you get this relationship right, when you pursue this relationship, then all of a sudden these other things fall into place. And so often, right, we're trying to get peace from the outside in instead of experiencing the peace from the inside out. It's inside out that we truly have lasting peace. Because the outside in, there's always another massage, right? I always need another round of golf. I always need to go on another run. I always need another hike. I always need another time alone until we understand, no, I got to be centered in the Lord. I got to put this into practice in my life. So who's on the throne of your heart? There's four questions today. We have this series. We're trying to give you four questions to consider as we talk about living the Christian life. Number one is this. Where is your focus? Where's your focus? Focus on the main things, right? Focus on your, your marriage. Focus on your kids. Focus on the gospel. Focus on the things that are big things, things that matter. Don't get caught up in the small things. Don't let the small things dictate the big things. Focus. Where's your focus? Number two, is there anxiety in your life? And this is that biblical word anxiety, right? That self-centered Worry, is there anxiety in your life? Maybe you walked in with fear. I want to encourage you to walk out with peace, with confidence, because Christ is enough. Number three, question to consider. 
What are you allowing into your heart and your mind? <laughs> if you were to go back and, and look at this week and look at the things you watched or you listened to, are they leading you closer to God or further away? And number four is this. Are you living the Christian life wholehearted? Not just a little bit, not just a, I'm gonna have one foot in, right? But I'm living all for him. And I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. I'm making mistakes. But you know what? I'm falling forward. <laughs> I'm falling forward into the arms of Jesus. I don't know where you are today, but I know this, God is here. And it's not an accident that any one of us are here. God brought us today for a reason to speak to our hearts. God had this word for us right now.